This is your host, Pete Moore, and I am pleased and humbled to announce the launch of my one and only book, Time to Win Again, 52 Takeaways from Playing and Watching Team Sports to Ensure Your Business Success. Those of you who know me personally and anyone who listens to Halo Talks for any length of time know that I am an avid sports fan and a big believer in the value of team sports. What I've seen over the past 25 years, helping businesses grow, raising capital, being an entrepreneur myself, and coaching and mentoring executives in the sector, it's the lessons learned on the field perfectly apply to business. Entrepreneurs, executives, managers, you name it. Every company that's a strong company has got a good team. It's a quick read. There's awesome illustrations in there from our good friend, Mark, at Cruelty Freak Cartoons. If you go to IntegritySQ.com, enter your email address, and we will send you information on the book and the Entrepreneur's Survival Kit as well. Be great. Take names. Go Halo. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC on location, Dallas, Texas. Ursa 2021, finally in person. I have the pleasure of having Liz Clark join me on Halo Talks, welcoming her with open arms to the industry. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Pete. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So um, first off, I was in Montana uh, two days uh, ago and I uh, had a great time. So why don't you talk about your background and uh, I know you do a little bit of hunting and you <laughs> do a little bit of outdoor wilderness. Yeah, man. Well, it's God's country out there. And I'll tell you, I was really blessed to have grown up out there. My family moved out when I was, uh, I don't know, like eight or nine. And then I was out there until I was 15 or 16. So real like formidable years and um, came from a very active family. And so, at, yeah, when I think I shot my first deer when I was 12 or 13 and then, uh, you know, active, like fishing all the time. And then just everything about I'm, what makes Montana freaking amazing is the skiing and the hiking and, you know, lived on a lake. And so I had a canoe and, um, yeah, just, I mean, just an awesome, awesome place to, to grow up. And my brother is still out there. So I actually, um, my husband's the one who encouraged me last year. He said, you know, you should go spend some time with your brother out in Montana. And I'm like, well, all my brother does is hunt. So if I'm going to spend any time with him, I, I probably have to go on a hunting trip. And so that's essentially what happened. I put in for this tag. It's called a coming home to hunt tag. And I didn't know if I'd get it. Okay. And I got it. And I was like, oh man, now I actually got to go on this trip. <laughs> and I hadn't shot a gun in 25 years. It was quite, I mean, I'm a city kid now. I live in Washington, D.C. And Went out and, uh, you know, spent 10 days out there and ended up, it's a crazy story, but at the end of the day, shot a monster bull elk and uh, like record breaking animal. Yeah. And now I've been eating, me and my family have been eating elk meat. (laughs) <laughs> you know, every meal of the day for a year. So I was playing golf out in, out in Whitefish and Kalispell. So I wasn't as, uh, I had a different set of weapons, which were uh, some irons. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, well, of course you play. You know, I love golf. We were in Kalispell. Um, I got to get the names. There was one in Whitefish, and then okay. we went down to one in Kalispell. So yeah, uh, it was nice to get out yeah, there. It's it was beautiful. beautiful. For like two months. And then other Amazing. than that, yeah. Yeah, we, we came in, and then and the trees were changing colors, and it was just like, wow. Yeah. I understand why people live here. Yeah. Yep. So, well, welcome to the industry. So, you know, your background um, is kind of unique. You know, I, I, I did some research. You said you start out in, in sports management. Um, so, obviously, you know, there, there's a big part of public speaking and 
being present, you know, in, in the association world and in public policy. Yep. So maybe talk us through how the progression was from what your initial passion was and how you've kind of morphed it and, and now to, to where you are today. Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, I've been an athlete my whole life. I was a three varsity sport athlete in high school and then in college. I was on the crew team. And so, yeah, my, my undergrad was in sports, mark, uh, no, what was it? Broadcasting, mm. uh, radio and television sports broadcasting. So I loved it because I've just been very interested in it my, my whole life. And then as I sort of ended college, I was getting job offers in cities that I was not wild about. And I was like, you know, I don't know that I really want to go live in Toledo. Uh, and, it, you know, because you got to work your way up in these sure. markets. Like yeah. you don't just start on ESPN. And so... Um, I actually just came to Washington, D.C. I had a bunch of friends there and got into the association world. It was really weird. And um, with that, obviously, came a lot of public speaking, but also a total exposure into the policy world and what associations do. And uh, and then I've just been on this trajectory with associations my entire time. And it, been, this is now my fourth one. So mm-hmm. um, it's been a pretty cool spot to, to land. And, you know, always had an interest in, in public policy, but, um, you know, now at, that, at the helm and, and being at an association that needs to pivot to focus more on policy, it's a pretty cool time to be here. Yeah. So, you know, being part of the, uh, the, the candy industry, um, you know, obviously a lot different dynamics than the fitness industry. But what are, what are some of the, you know, lessons learned that, hey, look, whatever the product or whatever the industry is, like there's a certain set of facts or rules that that you have to abide by in order to get policies yeah you know proliferated in your favor yeah you know i mean so the industries themselves actually it's really interesting i've only been on the job two months now but i've seen a lot of comparisons a lot of small businesses a lot of innovative thinkers and and that's what happens in candy too the candy comes up with five or six thousand new SKUs of candy every year mm-hmm. so it's it's really creative people that you know pull their bootstraps up and you know put their personal finances on the line, you know, to, to just very similar to this industry. So that said, you know, as you look at advocating for policy and what that makes, it, I, I really am a trained advocate. And so what you can do with that is you can really advocate for anything. Right. For me, it was important to advocate for something I really believe in. And that's what makes this industry so amazing. And, and there's ways, in, you know, to, about advocacy that are important, but you got to have data, you got to have the stats, you've got to have, you know, a good team around you, you've got to have relationships with Congress, relationships with communicators, and, you know, you kind of package all that up, and then that's your advocacy program. Right. So when you take a look at URSA, and I think URSA got some undue heat when the pandemic hit because collectively we funded URSA to basically create a trade show and create some marketing materials, which have been very helpful and some data, high level data that's helped guys like us bring private equity and venture capital into the space because we could show that there's third party data and that this industry has got the wind at its sails and so on and so forth. So when the pandemic hit, it's like, oh, Ursa's not doing this. Like, well, they don't have money to do Like, you didn't give them any money. So why can you, you can't blame them for this. Yeah. Well, and not, it wasn't even the money. It was frankly just the mission and the structure of what we were doing. You're right. I mean, we were working on a trade show. We had publications, but we were never 
an advocacy-focused organization. We, we did do a lot of advocacy at the state level, but nothing federally. We just weren't structured that way. That right. wasn't the mission of the board. Um, but obviously, over time, that became very critical, which was, you know, why they wanted a very deliberate shift into, into focusing on that today. Uh, so you're right. We were, you know, we weren't prepared. We weren't ready at the time when we needed to be when this whole thing went down. I mean, nobody saw a pandemic coming or what that was going to mean about, like, arguing on who's essential and whatnot. But we definitely were, you know, behind when, when all that came to be. And so we found ourselves here now, and that's why it's a new day. Yeah. So when, when you take a look at other industries, and I, I listen to this podcast, I listen to a lot of podcasts, there's a podcast called Gangster Capitalism, mm -hmm. and it's a multi-series um, multi-episodes on the National Rifle Association. Ah. And their average dues contribution is $40. Mm -hmm. And they have, you know, the largest political action committee funds. And then I looked at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and they have a $17.5 million annual budget. My alma budget. mater. Yeah, I know you work there. <laughs> you know, so when you, when you take a look at an industry like this, and you say, all right, we've got some really big players. We've got some public companies now. We've got multi-billion dollar software companies. How does all this kind of come together and everyone say, all right, I'm not going to, if I'm Planet Fitness, I'm Orange Theory, I'm Lifetime, like Ursa or whatever the new name comes up with, like they are my voice. Like let's pull all this capital and all this influence because whatever they want, we want. Yeah. Right. So I feel like there's almost like, hey, we got this, Ursa has been covering like the multi-unit operators and we got some big players here and there. And there's a couple of groups that are saying like, I'm going to do my own thing. So I'm assuming one of your initiatives is say like, look, I'm not going to provide this for everyone. So how do you think about that? And, and what are some of the steps that you think need to be taken or that you're planning to take? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, we got to figure out what is our value proposition to these people? Like what exactly. is, what is going to make people show up and write checks and, and be that dues checks or even personal checks. And so one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is reevaluating our, again, our value for membership and what do you get for that? We know that we've lost a lot of members because we weren't focused on advocacy. So to me, every association that I have been a part of the value has been advocacy and then it helps to have a trade show and it helps to have a publication, but that yeah. is not the focus of, of what the value is that you're providing to, to folks. And so for me, that's what we're going to be doing. And then as we, as we go out and recruit new members to come in the tent uh, that we need for our very important voice and advocacy from a dues perspective is one thing, but then establishing or reestablishing, I should say, our pack is critical. And so happy to talk more about that, but it's, uh, you know, the pack is the money that goes directly to, to legislators that funds their campaigns. It's, right. per, it's personal money, so it's hard to raise those dollars. But with an industry our size, we should have a very legitimate pack and be able to be supporting legislators um, throughout Congress. Sure. So when you take a look at the pack, and I'm not as skilled on, on how this works, but is that something that needs to be a completely separate entity? Does that somehow, it has to kind of work in parallel or? Yeah, it's a, it's a separate fund that's run by the organization. So Ursa would oversee it, but it's its own bank account. And what it is, is personal dollars. So it is not corporate money. It is Liz Clark giving Liz Clark's money to the PAC. And so, so I can't give his like Integrity Square, can't make a contribution to a PAC. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that, there's a, there is a little caveat it, if depending on if you are organized as a partnership. I'm learning about that. But gotcha. but that's a it's a strong, weird caveat. It's for the most part, it's just personal dollars. And so 
it's, but anybody in your family can give, any of your employees can give. And so it takes a while. And this is one of the things I did at Candy, actually very similar that when I got to the Candy Association, we had $30,000 in our pack. Today, the URSA pack has $30,000 in it. And by the time I left, we were somewhere around 700, 750 a cycle, which is enough to support, you know, a pretty strong contingent in Congress. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's it's one of the stools of advocacy, or one of the legs of the stools of advocacy that I say, you know, so you got to have a strong pack, but then it's also, you need to be doing actual lobbying and talking to members of Congress face to face. And then it's enlisting your your army, your your soldiers out in the real world to go and talk to their members of Congress and, and their local reps and make sure that they're connecting all those dots, that they are the job creators and, you know, the businesses that are driving growth in economies and, and linking all that together. I want to take a minute and tell our audience about two awesome workout recovery products I've been using for the last 18 months from HigherDose.com, leader in infrared technology for athletes like all of us are. We're an investor in the company. That's not why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because it works. We got an infrared sauna blanket. I hop in there. I'll listen to some podcasts, burn 800 calories, get a mad detox and a PEMF, which is a pulsed electromagnetic field crystal mat that I lay on and I recalibrate my cells to the normalized level of the earth. If you got somebody you like and you're looking for a pretty awesome gift, they will love it. You can use this code HALO75, get $75 off and you will not be disappointed. HigherDose.com, promo code HALO75. And now let's get back to our regularly scheduled program. So when you take a look at um, some of the initiatives that URSA has had and, and, and the GEMS Act, how important is the name of the act when you go and talk to these congressmen? You know what? Women. It sounds cheesy, but th- but it is important. They love it. These members, and I know that you know we get hung up a little bit because obviously we're more than just gyms, right? We yeah. are we are lifestyle. We're so much, but 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 members of Congress and staffers love acronyms, and so yeah. they love. So they they really wanted to push for that, and so and if these are the champions on the hill that are going to be pushing our legislation and getting other members of Congress on it, it you know it's a small little nuance thing, but but that's it does so matter. So is a gym. Like when I think about a gym, I think about a you know my high school gymnasium, which needs has a lot of deferred capex. Yeah. yeah. Um, so would it be beneficial if it was called like the stay healthy or get healthy or you know preemptive or came up with some kind of acronym or or you think the gyms act is okay? I think it's okay for now, and I mean, but this is one narrow piece of legislation for one moment in time. Got I it. think you know as we as we progress in time and and continue to do more in the advocacy space, there's going to be more. I, um, proactive efforts and there probably are some programs that we could you know be looking at from a from a broader basis to get their support got it so when you were evaluating whether to take this job opportunity what are some of the things that you looked at to say okay this is set up where i know how to fix it or there are some things that this is going to be a long putt for a long period of time yeah um Listen, the thing that drew me to it 
was obviously the importance of the industry, but the people. And so as I got in and every round of my interview process, I met more and more people and who were more and more committed to this industry. So I got inspired by that. Mm-hmm. I also, with every round, peeled back a, another layer of the onion and saw something else that needs to be fixed. And mm-hmm. so I was very intentionally chosen for this position to pivot the organization to focus on advocacy and communication. So that is the first thing that we're doing out of the gate. It's why I had our advocacy folks come to Washington, D.C., my second week on the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's right now, you know, focus number one. But there are 10 other things beyond it that we need to reevaluate and, and think about. What's the value to our international members? What is our role going to be on international advocacy? I mean, it's hard enough to advocate domestically in one country, let alone think you're going to be effective in all of them. But, you know, how can we be engaging more with the WHO and other groups like that, I think are really important. So so we got to look at that. Yeah, we got to look at the universe of potential members out there. Obviously, with 22% of gyms closing, you know, in the last 20 months of COVID, the pie in one sense is smaller, but it's still an amazing opportunity to be to be getting other people in the tent but you need to, again, go back to what we said earlier. What's the value proposition to them? Mm-hmm. And then what's the home that's going to make them feel like they want to be a part of this? And so it's why I don't think our name is, I think our name is exclusive versus inclusive. And it's why I think we need to hit pause on it and think about creating the brand that we want to be. And that's going to allow more people in the tent in the future. Yeah. I mean, with the, the proliferation of, um, you know, connected fitness and then also, just the amount of venture capital dollars that have been put towards those um, pieces of equipment and, and subscriber bases. I would love to have been a fly on the wall in some of these venture meetings. They're like, hey, look, there's $35 billion worth of health club membership recurring revenue, and let just go after it. Try and get as much as you can before these people reopen. Yeah. Right? So that was probably part of it was, you know, venture capital firms, are they're trying to create these awesome companies. They're also trying to be disruptive and you know, monopolization of, of a market. Um, but I kind of see all those companies in the near term, potentially thinking about a health club as like a showroom Mm -hmm. for their equipment and and they could distribute out of there and you could actually go in and you could try the equipment out. Um, so I, I would hope that they become collaborators and actually, you know, maybe turn the the health club operators into distributors. Yeah. Um, cause that'd be interesting. And then also, you know, you've got an opportunity now to bring in, you know, the Pelotons and the iFit and the Nautilus, which are all, you know, billion-dollar-plus companies. So I do agree with you that it has been like a bricks-and-mortar kind of, you know, party going on and um, and didn't really have the reach of, like, like everyone comes out of the member. Like, who's our member at the club level and what do they care about? Right. And then we kind of – then there's layers of, like, who cares about that yeah. from an economic standpoint. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting concept and definitely a, a, a wave of the future, and it's why – you know, we're talking about that. How do we do more with our technology partners? And what does that mean for, um, you know, helping Ursa and helping them? And it's a partnership. And so we've got even just at this show here in Dallas, I mean, fabulous partners that are here today. And I'm prioritizing meeting with all of them because it's important that they're part of the conversation. In fact, just yesterday I had a board meeting and and one of the things I suggested is I think we need to create a, a seat on our board for for these member partners. Uh, they're critical to us. One of the most interesting things, and I was talking about with you before we, we turn the mic on, um, most of the industry does all their billing with third-party billing companies. 
So it's almost like an automatic lockbox, if mm-hmm. you will. And then the franchisors in this industry, you know, they take like Planet Fitness, they'll take their 6% directly from ABC. They won't go and send an invoice to a, a Planet Fitness franchisee and hope that they pay their royalty fees. So as we think about industry association fees or maybe even tapping into the members to be a part of the contribution process, I feel like the technology and like the billing infrastructure is, is almost like it couldn't be better. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and they've been great partners to us, and, and we've started to have those conversations, and they're going great. You mentioned ABC, fabulous partner to us. Uh, Daxco, fabulous partner to us. So, I mean, there's, and it's not a huge universe of companies that do that. Exactly, and so, it's like top five. Right, but... and and the one, so far, the ones that we're talking to believe so much in us and want us to succeed so badly that, that they're totally amenable to this concept. Yeah, so as you, as you kind of lay out you know, you've done this several times now in different associations. So you lay out, you know, your first hundred days and then kind of think methodically about it. What, what are some of the things that our listeners here should be doing either locally or um, supporting, you know, what you want done in this first, you know, kind of honeymoon period of like, hey, I, I'm here. We're going to fix it. You know, give me some time to do it because it doesn't happen overnight. Yep. Um, but what do you want people to be able to, to, to be doing right now? You know, I- I'm on a big learning and listening tour right now. I'm trying to get to talk to everybody I can, and I want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, what are your listeners' thoughts on what we can be doing better, what are we doing good, you know, strategic direction. So I'm getting a lot of feedback, and it's been really, really helpful as we think about where we go in the future with this organization. Obviously, from an advocacy perspective, there's stuff people could be doing right now, and that's meeting your member of Congress so that we can ensure that we are never left behind again. And you don't have to come to Washington for that. There is a local office in every congressional district in this country, and there are that's staffed by staffers. And so, you know, you should be thinking about setting up meetings with those. If you are reopening, if you are opening a new facility. You should be inviting your member of Congress. You should be inviting your mayor. You should be inviting your chamber of commerce, getting, you know, all the airplay together that you possibly can. And, and it's a good story to tell. Members of Congress want to come and do that. They want to be, they want to show that they are representing thriving communities. So as we are reopening, you know, I think it's an important part of the story that we need to be having them at the table. Is there a, um, you know, when everyone talks about PACs and they talk about money raised and money allocated, is there a way for us to kind of create like a voting syndicate? Explain more. What do you mean? Uh, you know, everyone talks about, oh, we're going to put X number of dollars behind this congressperson. Well, I've got 6,000 people in my health club. You know, obviously, I don't want to I'm not going to put up ads to say, like, vote for this representative. But I'm going to tell you, this representative supports the Jim's Act or supports the Healthy Living Act. And this one doesn't. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel like not only do we need to have dollars, but we, there's actually votes associated with that. And I wonder if that's like a pressure point to kind of say, hey, look, we got an industry. We got, you know, 60 million yeah. members yep. and we're going to put out a list to every one of our members and they're going to put it on their bulletin board or on one of their big screen TVs that says these are the members in this district that support what we're doing. Yeah. Here's the one that don't. Yeah. Is, is, has anyone done that yet? Not or is that, that I know of, but I well, love that. Yeah, that. I love that idea. You let's know, do that. I we'll mean, do it in big font, yeah. like 72 font. I love it. Times New Roman, bold. Yes, yes. Done. Strong. Okay, let's do that I'm first. I'm in, I'm in. Um, and so let's really do that because I feel like the votes are just as important as the money or like we're delivering yeah. you a certain amount of votes if you like you back what we're doing. Yep. Um, and then just from a standpoint of the advocacy, like we've got advocacy 
we want to be an essential business like everyone does. But how does that kind of trickle into some of the other things? Like I was thinking when we started the NHFA, hey, we got to figure out how to like get a higher um, flexible spending account for, yep. for every, everyone in the industry plus Peloton and every other group. Or maybe if you buy Nike, like that could be tax deductible as part of like anything that's in the athleisure space. Yep. You know, so how far do you go? Do you go and say, okay, I'm going to protect the bricks and mortar. I'm going to get a higher flexible spending account, which could bring in all the connected fitness players that are dropping two grand on a credit card that now they can get reimbursed for tax yep. deductible. Yep. Does it go to, I want more bike lanes. Does it go to like, you know, I want more parks. I want basketball nets on the rims. You know, like wh where, how far do you go? Yeah, I think it's as far as we want to go. I think the sky's the limit, you know, and, and do we, do we stay in that focus lane around, um, you know, sports and fitness and, and the future there? Or, you know, do we focus on other business issues that people care about? And, you know, do we get more engaged on, you know, conversations about minimum wage and, you know, broader business issues that are also impacting mm -hmm. our folks? There's all kinds of opportunities to weigh in on all of that. And that's why it's critical, you know, to have somebody like me in Washington, D.C., where you can engage in coalitions on that. You don't have to lead on those issues, right, but right. if they're to, important to us, you got to be at the table sure. and be on the letter. Sure. Yeah. So um, at, at this show, obviously you're going to be meeting with a lot of people and we're going to, we're going to close here, but do you have any good business quotes or quotes that you live by that, uh, that says, Oh, that's a Liz Clark. Yeah. Okay. So, I've been, so two, <laughs> two business quotes that I'll share, I guess. So one of them is it says, if you're not in politics, you're not in business. Or you can do the inverse like of it, that. too. Like, if you're in politics, you're in business, right? Um, and then the other one is that if you are not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm. So those are my, my business and advocacy quotes. Yep. All right. So the fitness industry is officially at the table. Liz will be our ambassador. We are looking for a lot of good change. We're going to be part of that change. Uh, agent, and uh, hopefully we could be as helpful as possible and come back here next year and talk about all the wins. Thanks. I'd love to. Thanks for having me today, and thanks awesome. for all your help and your support, and just uh, it's going to be it's a brighter day ahead, so yes. thank you. Okay, great. Thanks Take for care. coming on.